I can't believe she used a fake name and then she got plastic surgery. She has multiple fake names, we found out. But oh I will say, God. that's what led me to look for a new job. And guess who I met at my next new job? Bean Town. Town. Welcome to Signal, the podcast that raises your frequency. I'm Maury Fontanez, purpose and intuition coach. I'm Melissa Grushka. I can't quit because I don't have a job. <laughs> this week, we're talking about quitting your job. Bean, are you ready to roll? I guess I am. Let's do it. Uh, all right, Bean. Hey, how's it going today? It's going. It's going. I'm feeling a little off, but I'm going to get my mojo. We're having a hell of a time getting our We're tech set up today. Damn. We are having a hell of a time. We my really... camera just fell on the floor, <laughs> disconnected me from the chat. Before we started, uh, Melissa was trying to get her camera set up and everything just fell on the floor and she went into a dark hole for a while and I got a nice giggle out of it. I was rocking in the corner. Speaking of my tech team over there, that it leads me to my cringe moment of the week. If you Oh like yeah, tell me, it. what's your cringe moment of the week? My cringe moment was earlier this morning when I sent out a message to our team <laughs> saying, I'd love a little help brainstorming on this particular moment. <laughs> and literally nobody responded. And then the only person who responded then responded crickets. Instead of addressing my concern about helping me brainstorm. <laughs> Did you feel loved and supported in that moment? No, by I didn't. I felt team? cringy. I felt, and nobody even was like, I'm sorry. No, I actually went on and I liked it. No, I ha-ha'd it. You ha-ha'd it. I so was that like, was this isn't a laughing too. matter. <laughs> Yours? Do you have a, do you have a bad I one? have such a good one. I think, <gasps> listen, this is either cringy or I like actually am funny. But I actually think I'm funnier in my you own head funny. than I am in real life. No, no, no. So, but no, no. I disagree. Okay. Well, thanks. But I was in LA at a restaurant and it was one of those restaurants where the bathrooms are all stalls that are unisex that are like each individual yeah. door. So I'm standing in the hallway right. and I'm standing there and this guy walks up and I swear he looks like he's from like Central Casting Sopranos. Like he's got the... <gasps> The shirt buttoned down, I mean, nice. open, jacket, hey. pocket square, Aye. he's wearing sunglasses, exactly. And so he's like standing there and then right after sunglasses? him- Sunglasses? I'm sorry, sunglasses? I Indoors? don't understand that. Yeah. Um, and it was a nice restaurant. Anyway, and then this other guy walks up and he looks like, like a Hollywood executive. It was pretty clear. And so they're both kind of like awkwardly standing there and <laughs> I'm trying not to make eye contact and the Hollywood executive says to the Sopranos guy- um, so where are you from? And I shit you not being, he goes, who's asking? Uh-uh. Yes. Did you just start then, No. And then the Hollywood guy goes, what do you do? And the guy goes, gets closer to him. He goes, who's asking? And I looked at the Hollywood guy and I go, uh, I think it's pretty clear what he does. No. And I walked away. And I was giggling so hard in the bathroom. But who goes up to someone and says, what do you do? Is that a thing in LA? What do you I do? I think it's like a schmoozy thing. Oh, I'm going to try that. I thought I was really witty, but I may have offended him. He could have been a nice periodontist and I was, you know, typecasting him. Periodontist? Where'd that come from? I was trying to think of a respectable job. Oh. I couldn't say podcaster. On that note, this is a great transition. We're going to talk Always. about quitting your job today. That is the topic of the conversation. And I feel like we both have a lot to say about this. Um, we thought that it was timely because... I think that as two older millennials, we are really noticing that <laughs> Speak for more, yourself. People, more people are feeling free to quit their jobs now than they did when 
we did when we were younger. And so we both were a little like geeking out on it. Like, why? How? All right, cool. Well, let's come on here and talk about it. Bean, what do you think about, do you feel like you're seeing that quitting your job is just becoming a little more common? I think, I think everybody's seeing it. I mean, there's this term, the great resignation that's been going on over the past couple of years. So people are just sort of exiting their careers and their jobs in mass. What is your hypothesis as to why now? Like, why are people feeling so comfortable doing that now? Well, I did a little digging and it turns out that just the generation below us, by the way, I just found out a new term I would like to share with you. It's called cusper, which is what you and I are. We are um, on the, did you know that? Is this a thing? No, but it makes sense. I know that astrologically because I'm on the cusp oh. of Leo and Virgo. Oh, wow. So it's it's the oh, same yeah. thing. We are cuspers in yes. that we are on the cusp. We were like right on the in the middle between Gen X and millennials. But as I yes. was doing the research and reading some more stuff, I realized I think I'm sadly more aligned with Gen X than I am with millennials. <laughs> Why is that sad? Because it makes you older? Because it makes you older. Yeah. I feel like my mentality, even in the workplace, was more that of what it seems like Gen X was more than millennials and this next generation. Yeah. Anyway, back to your question. True. So I'm reading and I just think that there are a lot of things that um, I'd say that one, this young generation, these not Gen Xers are much more focused on, per- which which really ties into you, much more focused on purpose and what they want to be doing and passion and that kind of thing. Whereas I feel like our generation, we just kind of were like, make as much money as you can, put your head down yeah. and keep working. Don't look up, just yeah. keep working. Keep doing your job. It doesn't matter what's distracting you on the side, just keep working. And they're yeah. sort of like, no way, man. Like I want to be happy and fulfilled. And I uh, I did even speak to a, a younger generation person. You and- <laughs> did. You did an interview. You know, it's called Gen Z. Just Gen Z. I just wanted so to get in the head Gen of a Gen Zer because reading this information was so removed from how we were. I felt like that I wanted to yeah. like really understand it from their perspective, not just reading. Oh. Oh, okay. Yeah. What did you yeah. get from your interview? Well, that they're they're looking a lot at companies as what good are they doing for the world? Whereas I feel like we right. like never paid attention to that, which I kind yeah. of am a little nauseated by myself that I never was like, well, what is this company? Even when we work together, we weren't like, well, how are they giving back? Oh and how are God. they making this a better place to be? We were just like, what we movies? We made it a worse place to be. Yeah, I feel like we did. and we, But we didn't care. It just wasn't on our radars. That's not really our fault. I'm just going to say because I love the that. conversation I love that you're taking no blame for that. I love that. <laughs> totally. Yeah. Well, because the conversation wasn't there. I mean, we didn't have the awareness that that was something to strive for because the dialogue wasn't there whereas now it is. And actually, having been on the PR side of it 20 years ago, 10 years ago, Gen it was Xer. really I think driven by companies wanting to show that they're doing good right and promoting their yeah like promoting their csr corporate social responsibility and their sustainability efforts and you know talking about their purpose through their marketing i actually think that companies inadvertently started this whole thing because they started marketing it to customers as a reason that they should be differentiated and i really do think that's part of how come why the dialogue became so prevalent is that all of a sudden there was awareness that, oh, organizations 
can and need to be doing more, but I actually think it started as a marketing tactic. From, they weren't from the though. Side. They weren't gearing it towards a generation that suddenly cared a lot more than I guess we did about Absolutely. the world and doing well. Absolutely, and being a good person. But I think yes, and it is geared towards the customer. I don't think they meant to gear it towards the employee. Now they do. Now they realize that the workforce wants purpose. And so they do a lot of employer branding to market it to employees. But what I'm saying is, yes, the generation that was buying things was becoming more aware of, you know, the end of the world, basically, and that shit's not working and demanding more from organizations for sure. I just think it was the customer they had in mind and not the workforce. And now the workforce is like, well, give me a reason to be here. Give me a reason to stay here. Did I? Was that Tracy Chapman? Yes. Oh, my God. You're the only person <laughs> who would know what that was. If that Give were my cousin there. or my sister or my daughter, they'd be like, we have no idea what you're doing because you're so tone deaf. Anyway, that's another thing, though, that I got in the head when I was in the head of a Gen Zer uh, was that there is this whole, which I didn't know, there is this whole apocalyptic mentality going on among the younger generation, which I feel like I can relate to as a 40-year-old woman. But which I originally thought was just a, like a, a product of my age that you get older and you're like, well, things seem kind of weird out there. Yeah. But it's not. Apparently, this is a mentality that's very popular among the youth. And it's really impacting their decisions about where they want to work and spend their time and put their energy. And it makes them feel like, why am I going to, you know, bust my ass if the world's going to end in who knows when? Correct. That is definitely the largest conversation that I hear among that generation, too, is that this is all coming to an end. So it better mean something, which, by the way, I mean, they're not wrong. They're not. They're it not better wrong. mean something. It's pretty and depressing, though. It is looking a little grim. I mean, do I believe that the world is ending? No, I believe the world is on the precipice of a massive evolution and oh. shift. And so it's all got to look like it's falling apart just wow. as like a lover a of history. Way. Wow, that's a really positive spin. If you look at the last 2,000 years, there's been moments where it's like, oh, shit, this is it. Like, look at all these revolutions everywhere. Look at the plague. Look at – I mean, there was moments in history where it felt like this is the end of humanity. So I just think this is that again. Doesn't this feel a little extra? We're so extra with our apocalypse this generation. Doesn't this feel a little more hyped up than the rest? But let's not go here. You know what? Do you know why? Why? Wait, let me answer the question. Okay. I think it feels extra. I think it feels extra because we're living through it. I think when you're reading something in a textbook, it is flat. It's not dimensional. You don't really understand the feelings people had when like their family was dying because of a plague that was spreading everywhere. That you don't understand the feelings that it was like to live in poverty. But now that we're living through really hard times, which again, I think is just a shift in humanity. Um, it feels extra to us. People are going to read about this in 200 years and be like, oh, that that seemed hard. They're not going to be like, that was extra. Do you know what I mean? <laughs> Maybe they will be like, that was extra. Don't you think living in the 60s in this country felt extra as hell? I don't know. I don't know. I'd have to right. get into their generation's head. You'd have to get I'd into have to get into a boomer's head. I would assume so. Anyways, I'm back sorry. to quitting your job. Back to quitting. Not the That's- end of the world. I was going to actually touch on quiet quitting. No. No, don't touch on it or touch on it. Well, the reason I want to touch on it, it. because in our notes, it says, uh, maybe I should bleep it out, but 
quiet quitting, dumbest effing concept Maury has ever heard in her life. So I would, I would love for you to elaborate on the dumbest effing concept you have ever heard in your life. I hate this term quiet quitting so damn much. I'm sorry. Let me say why. Okay. Because, okay. Let me clarify. I don't hate what it represents. What it represents is Healthy I'm boundaries. not going to let, yeah, I'm not yeah. going to let some employer walk all over me and force me to work extra hours and yeah, do girl. extra things yeah. right, to show my value. Yeah. I love that. Very yeah. empowering. Right. But that's not fucking quiet quitting. That is just having boundaries at work. Like the fact that this is a term that had to be cutesified oh, by the media the to like basically just talk about the truth that is, hey, you guys can have boundaries and still be valuable. You can still show up at work and only do 40 hours and still matter. I used to work in an agency where like it was so, I mean, even where we worked together in the entertainment agency, we worked in, don't you feel like there was this like, oh, this person did 60 hours. Oh my God. I saw this person online at midnight. Wow. A hundred percent. That's why I think that this concept is all so foreign to me. I'm not opposed to it. But it's so like mind blowing. Like we just put our heads, we just worked and we're like, okay, then we'll work harder. If this isn't working, we'll just work harder. Yeah. But the fact that this is what I'm saying, I think it's dangerous to call it quiet quitting one, because there's a negative connotation to that word as if you're giving up. Right. Right. Whereas what I'd love for the conversation to actually be is like, that's toxic as shit. You should not be out here working 60 hours, looking left and right to compete with other people and continue to let your own boundaries just fall away and not stand up for yourself. I'd rather it not be quiet quitting, but a conversation about boundaries at work. So let's rename it. What would you rename it? What would we name it? Hmm. I mean, I like that the quiet quitting has two Qs. So we need something with two Bs. (laughs) Like better boundaries. Better boundaries. Yeah. I think that the the reason that that term has taken off is because there's a part of it that feels really empowering. I think that if you're, you know, yeah. Gen Z or a younger millennial, it you're feels like, oh, right. Here's I'm making the control this I have. Of- yeah. I'm quit. I'm quiet quitting. They're not telling yeah. me how to do it. Right. So this is the control I can exert over it. But that is the rant about quiet quitting. I would rather the dialogue be how do we have better boundaries? And honestly, I really find that when I'm coaching people who are concerned about career stuff, it's often about that. It's often oh, about really? like what belief system do you have that is telling you that you need to be a martyr in order to be valuable here? What environment are you in that is like feeding you this nonsense that you need to really um, give up your boundaries to be valued here? Like, let's look at the the limiting belief you have and the environment you're in and challenge it. Let's challenge what we think is truth as just another way for people to get you to do more so that they can pay less. Do you know what's really wild that just hit me? You have what? literally had this conversation with me about um, being a stay-at-home mother that you have said, like, mm-hmm. why do you have to be a martyr to be a good mother? And like, mm-hmm. it encouraged me to sort of put up some more boundaries and make a little more time for myself sometimes, which I think is really hard for stay-at-home mothers in particular, because we are, are our only value is associated with what we get done in the home mostly and how we care for the children. Yeah. So, and there's, there's not a measure for that. So I think that often we're just like throwing ourselves into it because we don't have a salary. We don't have a employer who's telling us, great job. You're doing great. Like we're just doing as much as we can. And, and 
so I think you've even told me that, like, why is that the gold standard for being a great stay at home mother? Like, why can't it be a balance and have help more help from a partner? And, and do you think that, first of all, stay at home mother is the hardest job there is. It's, Thank you. I've tried it. Thank you. Not for me. So I have a lot of respect. Um, do you think that there is that comparison even in that job of being a stay-at-home mom where you you look at other moms? I don't know. I used to feel like some of the moms when my kids were younger were so damn extra. I like, mean, I, I feel like people might say that about me, but it's not because I'm trying to be extra. It's just how I operate. I just am extra. Like I cut shapes in my kids' cucumbers. Deal with it. <laughs> deal with it but do you but i i wonder if another mom sees that and compares themselves and feels like oh i should i should give up this run or i should not sit down and read this book so that totally. this cucumber can be in a star shape totally but i will tell you tr- my tr- my fullest truth is that i do it solely for my children's happiness like i am not doing it to make anybody else feel bad i am not doing it to make myself feel better i'm doing it cuz my kids really enjoy it that's it. Yeah, absolutely. And, and do I forfeit something and, else? Probably. Right. But this is – that's what where it's important. That's why I say – like you couldn't quiet quit being a stay-at-home mom, but you what could if have I better did? boundaries. What if I did? Yeah, how, how would you quiet quit them? Be like, I'd be like, no dinner tonight, guys. I'm quiet. I'm better boundarying. No, but but that's – I think that you what you raise is such an important point. So now let's take stay-at-home mom to being someone who works in an office or as part of a project or whatever it is. Um, it really comes down to what is it that I'm sacrificing right. in my own needs right. to do this extra thing right. in order to get what? What I always find is when I dig, dig, dig with people, it is – Back down to the story of I am not enough. I hate that. Right. I really and so how am I going to feel like I'm enough and show that I'm enough? I'm going to do more than the next person. I'm going to keep pushing myself. I'm going to sacrifice my own needs so that this other person can see me and finally say you're enough. But guess what? doesn't work that way. It doesn't work that way. Is it because the employers are not valuing them enough or they're working through their own insecurities about not being valuable enough. It's both, but also think about the employers. The employers have the same story inside of them. So everyone is walking around trying to prove themselves and prove their value. And instead of doing the inner work, they're projecting it outward. So the employers, I believe from what I've seen, carry this limiting belief that you have to sacrifice your own boundaries because they have done that this whole time. Right. And if they've done that, this is where I think we're in a generational war at work right now. Yeah. Because you have, to your point, Gen Xers and older millennials like us who are like, well, damn, I did the 70 hours. Right. And why shouldn't you? And I think that's what's really um, limiting and toxic about that is like, well, no, they are le- they're at a different level of awareness that their needs matter. And we didn't have that. And so there's a little bit of resentment. And I think that employers are saying, I did it, so you should have to do it. Totally. And there's no way you're going to get validation from someone who has that belief system if you actually care about your needs. That was and another they never theme. got to. Yeah, that was another theme that I sort of saw in my readings and my uh, interviewing of- Gen Z-er or Gen Z-ers? Were you woman on the streeting it or did you- No, but that would be a great segment. I would be the most <laughs> awkward. <laughs> you would be so awkward. <laughs> reminds me. Oh, I know what it reminds you. Wait, do you know what story I'm going to tell? I'm Corey Grushka. This is such a, no, oh. this is such a hard left. What? Do you remember when we 
I don't, is this appropriate? Who cares? We went to. <laughs> we could just cut um, it. <laughs> when we were bestie with the husbands, when yeah. I was married to the first husband, the I got of us it. went I got to it. a gentleman's club. Oh, it was the. It was honestly when I looked at you with the most respect I think I've ever seen. Okay, why? Tell everyone. So Tell we were people. at a gentleman's club after a lovely night out. We headed to a gentleman's club, and I don't know what <laughs> happened, but it came to Maury. We were bored. We were bored in this gentleman's club. I guess our husbands were not bored because just you and I were busy. <laughs> we just somehow decided that Maury was going to take on the role of. Um, uh, interviewing for like a journalist, like she for was the interviewing. Post. Oh, is that what we said? Washington Post. So some hard hitting news, yeah. you know. Yeah. Um, yeah. And we started interviewing people who, like guys who were just sitting around us trying to watch some boobs. We started interviewing them about like, well, why are you here, and why does this matter to you, and what does your wife think about all of this, and. We were like, and Maury was taking notes. Are you notes. wearing your wedding ring? Maury was taking notes on a napkin. And so nobody was like, nobody caught on that she was taking notes on a fucking strip club napkin. Nobody <laughs> like picked up and was like, this doesn't seem professional. But people were just letting it out. Giving telling, us a lot of information. And you were, you were dead. I mean, you did not break character for one moment. You didn't <laughs> giggle. I had to look away. I had to look down. I was covering my mouth. I was probably red. I was sweating. You did not break character for one minute thank you were you. the best goddamn reporter on that case i appreciate it thank you for yeah. that oscar that's what that reminds me of is you being a woman on the street anyway so in your interview with your one gen zier with you my one gen zier but i also did read a lot about gen zers but i just couldn't it didn't resonate with me because i'm not there so i really wanted to hear from someone else but the the um bottom line was that they're not caring as much about these companies because these companies aren't caring about them which yeah. I feel like makes total sense. I mean, that applies to relationships in your life. That should really apply to anything. Like, why are you going to give it your all if they're not either compensating you, telling you you're doing a great job, whatever it is that you yeah. feel like you need? Why should we be like being so gung ho about everything when nobody else, when they don't even care? They just want more, 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 which I can, I, yeah. I relate to. I get that. And that would, I think, make me feel angry as well. When they sign on yeah. to do XYZ job, but then they end up taking on that of like the role of that and their manager's job, but they're not being financially compensated any differently than how they originally agreed to be, you know, yeah. present in that company. Well, but I also think, I think money is just not enough anymore. I think it's not about, I mean, absolutely the compensation matters, but I'm finding, you know, in the industry I left people having a hard time recruiting and, and placing people in these jobs sometimes with really respectable salaries. Because as you said earlier, it's not just about the money anymore to to people, which I think is like, how do you solve that as an employer? I have no idea. <laughs> I'm right? out. I have no idea. If money's not the incentive. But I think the reality is working a full-time job at minimum wage, you still can't afford half of your life in most of this country. You can't afford housing. Yeah, you can't afford anything. So like, what are you working for to still be struggling terribly? I think that this is the time to really look inward as leaders and to really say, what is it that I need to work on? And then outside of that, the team needs to work on. And outside of that, the brand needs to work on to walk the walk in a way that makes people actually feel like they belong here, in a way that is about inclusivity, that means disagreement is something that we appreciate. Different perspectives is something that we appreciate. We don't have some work culture that you have to fit into like a cult to be valued here. Doing the work internally to figure out how you can 
actually appreciate people for being different because we have a hard time when people disagree with us, when people have different points of view, when people want to work differently. We want to stick them in boxes. And I think if we can change the inner workings of corporate cultures, which means changing the inner workings of leaders themselves to say, what is it about me that has such a hard time when someone doesn't fit this box that makes me comfortable? And when you do that work, then you start to create environments where you appreciate people for who they are. And I really think that's what people want. They just want to be seen. I think that's a massive undertaking considering most of the leaders in these companies are probably Gen Zers and boomers and older people. Gen Xers, you mean? Oh, yeah, that's what I meant. I'm sorry. So many letters, so no, little I time. Them all the time, too. Yeah. yeah, I can't keep up with who I am. Um, Gen Xers, that I just think that because our, like I was even saying earlier, I, I understand what's going on, but it so is not where I came from in my mentality that it would it's a difficult concept to grasp. And I feel like for leaders in the in big industries, it's probably an even tougher concept to grasp. But there's no other choice at this point because there is, you know, the great resignation. There is a different conversation going on. Like I think employers lose the power because in our generation and generations older than that, you needed that job and you right. needed to stick with that job in order to have security. But now the opportunities are endless. You can find a way to make money that doesn't require you to dehumanize yourself, belittle yourself, suffer, hate your life all day, every day. I think the cost of living though thing, again, makes it almost like you were working to survive and get what you need so you could buy a house and you could do these things. But yeah. that generation, the cost of living is so high now and so expensive yeah. that they can't. So what are they making this money for? You know, just to like go out on the weekend and still live at their parents' house. It's it's unaffordable. No, it's true. We can't I would be like so upset if we didn't mention this idea of being able to quit your job is such a privilege. privilege. Totally. So I mean, privilege. there are so many Americans right. who um absolutely do not have the option to say, I'm suffering. Right. I'm having a hard time. I don't like the way this employer's right. Yeah. I'm putting my boundaries in place. I I I don't like the way this employer is treating me right. and therefore I am going to leave. I mean, I actually, I'm going to say that differently. I think you can still put your boundaries in place even when you're, you know, really needing that job and that income. So that I don't agree with, but I don't think that quitting is something that's just available to everyone. I think that it's something that is a class issue, right? Like totally. when we're talking a middle class, upper middle class thing, but, you know, anything besides that, that's not really an option. So then what do you do? Then yeah, then I still do? think the dialogue has to go back to not having martyrdom be our icon for success. That actually leads me to what I would like to share now. As I mentioned Ooh. in the last episode, I'd like to slide into your DMs. Um, I mean, do you know what slide into your DMs means? I think it's something sexual. Is that right? Yeah. Well, why yes, can't this? So like why can't I say Here that? we go again. You're trying to date me again. Oh my God. All right. So what, what should I call it? I'm going to hop into your DMs. I'm going <laughs> to call it whatever you skip want. On, my love. I'm going to skip on into your DMs. Skip on over. Um, but I do go in and I love, love, love reading what people ask you. It, like, I feel like it gives me a glimpse creepy. into your daily <laughs> life. <laughs> I'm a voyeur. I like to watch. Um, anyway, this question I feel like is kind of ties into what we were just saying. I'm just going to read it and stop talking. Okay, Maury, I'm not in a position where I can realistically quit my job, but it's taking a serious toll on me. The work culture is really toxic and I can't trust my boss to have my back. 
What can I do so that my job is less emotionally exhausting? How can I create a healthier environment for myself? I really love Mm. that because I kind of thought about that during this whole session you and I have been having. Like if somebody can't quit, how do they do it? It's so relatable. Yeah. It's so re- I'm so glad that they Me asked. Too. Thanks for sliding into my DMs. Yeah, I skipped in. I skipped in. I skipped into your DMs. Skipping in. Listen, yeah. number one, do not confuse your identity with your role at a job. If you are getting your needs met in terms of feeling valued, feeling needed, feeling important um, only through this job, That is step number one. We've got to expand our lives beyond this so that you can put into context that this is a job. This is something that is allowing you to use your skills and get compensated for it. So I think the first thing that I see when people are in this space is that they're taking this job to be everything in their lives. And I think this is a good moment to pause and put it in its bucket. And it's, you know, it doesn't, it is not everything. And it should not be the sole source of your sense of self-importance or self-value at all, number one. I love that. Yeah. Number two, boundaries. Boundaries. What are the things that really matter to you? And have you just taken a moment to make sure that you are behaving in a way that allows you to get your needs met? And what I mean by that very specifically is saying yes when you mean no, saying no when you mean yes. So saying yes when you mean no is doing something you don't have the capacity or bandwidth or skill set to do and saying yes anyway and not asking for help because you're afraid that's going to make you look stupid. Saying no when you mean yes is opportunities that excite you, that you think could expand you, that you think could make you feel good about this job or prepare you for the next one and saying no out of fear or a sense of imposter syndrome. So really being clear with yourself about where you are um, showing up in ways that is inauthentic to your needs and then realizing that nobody's coming to save you. You have to speak up for your needs and you have to get what you need met. Um, And then the last part is it's not personal. People's toxic energy is such an indication of the tornado that they are living with inside of themselves. Which I try to apply to all areas of life. Yeah, it's hard. It is hard. hard. You get sucked up in their tornado. Yeah. Yeah, and they try to make it personal. They sure do try to make it really personal. But the truth is we are, as human beings, way too self-centered. Totally. And by that I mean way too focused on our own inner dialogue to be thinking about you and your inner dialogue. So nothing that is being projected at you is about you. It's a projection of whatever that internal story is and that hurt that's happening inside that person. So if you can learn to almost experience that projection like you're watching a movie with this like disassociation from them as being engaged with you, but almost like you're a flat watching just a movie. You're just not engaged in it. It almost gives you more insight into like who your manager or your boss is or – Absolutely. You know what I mean? And then you can sort of operate accordingly. Now you have all of this information. You're like, oh, that's what's up with you. Yes. Yes. And I I say it's easier said than done. I had a manager at my last job, female supervisor, who I really looked up to and I wanted so badly for her to see my value. And there was something about me that challenged her, man. She just – she had a hard time with me and she would very, very clearly play favorites with the men in my – 
yeah, the colleagues that were at my level that were men that would, wow. you know, treat her a certain way and make her feel really important. And, you know, I think that I, at that point, had grown enough that I refused to make it about that. Great. And I spoke my truth. And she really, she did not try very hard to make me feel seen or valued. And there are times where I did take that really personally. And I really did feel like that was about me. But from now, a five years later vantage point, right. what I can see is that that was 100% about her. It had nothing to do with me. Totally. But if you could have like yeah. implemented something, having that knowledge then, I feel like it would have made you even more successful. Yeah, absolutely. And I think the thing I implemented having that knowledge was like, oh, it's time to go. Yeah. <laughs> it's time to go do your own thing. I mean, talk about quitting. I quit an entire career to do something completely different. Yeah. So, so listen, it is, I get it. It, it they're, they're, when Once that voice, your higher self is like, hey, time to go, eh, you got to listen because shit gets really real if you don't listen. And it's hard. It's really hard to take that leap, but it's the very best thing I've ever done. Well, I'm super excited for you, obviously, and support you on this journey in life. Thanks, Beanie. Well, actually, I wanted to ask you, when do you think are the moments where um, it just gets so toxic that you have to go, like you have to quit? I mean, I I have a personal example that is tremendous. Although, honestly, now that you said it, none of us quit. That's what's bananas. It was just a different Can time. You can we get into it where oh, we get used to work? Um, oh. Right out of college, I got this great job fundraising for NPR. And I was like, this is awesome yeah. because I did want to give back and I wanted to help. And I thought, you know, doing fundraising is a, is a great way to do that. Um, first yeah. job out of college, I was interning there maybe my senior year. Um, it seemed perfect. So perfect, in fact, that I invested money that I had from inheritance into the company. Cause I was like, this sounds amazing. It's such oh, a novel God. idea. It's so interesting. Um, oh my gosh. Anyway, I, I'm just, I'm going to do it incredibly long story short. I don't even know how long I was there for at this point, but she, the company was started under her name. I'm not going to say anything cause I don't really know what's legal and what's not, but it turns out <laughs> it wasn't even her real name. So it was this person's name and company. Oh. It ended up at the end of the day, we found out she had many aliases. This was not even Yikes. her real name. So we're all doing fundraising. We all are doing our own part and we become like this nice, lovely little tight knit company. There aren't a ton of employees there, maybe 20 or something. And everyone has their very specific role. And we all work really nicely together. and We enjoy being together, which is what I think at the end of the day, kept everybody there. But then at right. some point, there were a lot of moments of rage, like throwing chairs at a window, um, screaming violently at her husband who worked- Wait, this woman? This woman. Screaming violently at her husband oh who worked for the company who eventually became like, I, I think sedated on medication because he would just sort of like slide up the wall down the hallways. What? It was so bizarre. And we all just kind of kept being like, well, this is weird. But I don't know why. Wait, how old were you? This is your first job out of college, First job out right? of college. So I started working there at 21, 22. And I'm so the really thought process naive. is like this. I'm right. The thought process is, I guess this is normal. Well, or... I knew it wasn't. Everyone knew it wasn't normal, but I think we really felt some sense of allegiance to each other more so even uh -huh. than like keep your head down and work anyway. But I definitely think that was playing a part. I mean, I was the youngest person there. Um, that is such an important point for times when I've wanted to quit. Why? Where I've thought, well, what about my team? Like I love them so much. Yeah. That allegiance to each other. So we yeah, definitely right. had that That's... hardcore allegiance. Yeah. And then eventually we're fundraising and the company is like losing money. And then we start hearing rumblings that some of the NPR stations we're fundraising for are not getting their money. 
Um, and nobody's oh like totally knows what's going on. And then rumors start flying that she's having a lot of plastic surgery with the money that we were using, <laughs> that we were fundraising <laughs> for NPR. It keeps getting wilder Wait, and wilder. Then you straight up got scammed. Then we all stopped getting paid. I don't even know how it oh happened, my God. but we all stopped getting paid. And for some time, which I feel like it was several rounds of paychecks where they kept being like, we can't do it right now, but we're going to get to it the next time. We just, we just weren't getting paid, but we all kept going to work. Eventually people started Why? being like, I don't know. Eventually people started being like, this is crazy. I can't. And we like attempted some civil suit, but there was no money. There was no money. I was 22. I was still totally living off my parents' money, to be totally honest. So I was like, wait, and you had invested money. I had invested money. And I was like, I'm angry. How much are we talking about? I don't even want to say it. It's embarrassing. I don't want to say it. I'm not saying it out loud. Oh my God. You got to tell me later. But I thought it was a good idea. I'm pretty sure, I'm not positive, but I'm pretty sure I roped in my mother and her sisters for a little bit too, but I can't be positive. (gasps) I thought it was- family scammer man and i just wanted to help npr dude girl wait how long did you show up and not get paid i don't know and honestly i wasn't even leading the revolution because i was young and dumb i was like oh uh yeah i'm mad too but i didn't even really know what was going on these people had families and homes and i and they couldn't pay their bills and it was crazy but we all had this like love for each other but people slowly started dropping and then eventually I think the company just folded. I don't even remember how it went down. Yeah. That is a very good example (laughs) where boundaries won't work and you got to quit the the damn job. Yeah, totally. You got to quit the damn job. Totally. It's in hindsight. But you know, hindsight is 20. Sure. Absolutely. Wow. That is crazy. Crazy. Yes. I can't believe she used a fake name and then she got plastic surgery. She has multiple fake names we found out. But I will say that's what led me to look for a new job. And guess who I met at my next new job? Bean town. But wait, let's talk. Let's get into that job for a minute. Okay. So, which one? The one where we met? <laughs> the job where we met. First of all, the thing we did at that job was a scam. 100%. For sure. And we knew okay, we were scamming. Is, sort of. Sort of. We got this into this agency that had literally just figured out how to use the internet. We're talking 2004. Yeah. 2005. Around then. Yeah, yeah. But anyway, so message boards were the big way that people communicated back there, children. And uh, the CEO had figured out a way to use message boards to influence people to buy things. And he was the first that had done that. And so he flew out to L.A. a bunch, like made his way into Hollywood and convinced all these major movie studios and TV studios to hire us to scour these message boards to one – kind of like focus group what people were saying about yep. these different shows and brands. Oh, we worked and on that two- together. That was such a fun show to work on together. Can I just interject and say we got to watch the show on television every single day because it was part of our research. So we had, yeah, to, we had TVs, we had TVs all, around, all around and we got to watch as yeah. part of our job. And I would be like, ugh, this is so annoying. I was like 23 yes. and com- my mom kept being like, what's prop? It sounds amazing there. <laughs> I was like, no, because- you get it. No, here's the thing. But this is the other part. Not only did we listen, we also did cyber strikes. Do you remember what cyber strikes were? I had goals. I had number of cyber strikes I had to make every single week. I would do it on the weekend. Tell the good people. What's a cyber strike? I would get into the message board and sort of create a persona so that I wasn't just talking about whatever it is we were promoting. So I looked really believable. So I would respond to like regular 
chains on this message board like oh did anybody has anybody tried this type of shampoo and i'd be like yeah that shampoo is super duper it's my favorite it's my favorite shampoo and then like here's a coupon yeah, then every third or fourth <laughs> one would be about a company or a product or a movie that we were trying to promote so it looked yep. very natural but it was a scam yeah. the whole thing was a scam the strategy was when she says that she had a quota like you had 20 cyber strikes you had to do in a day on different message boards and four of them had to be nonchalant about whatever the the message Easy board community was talking about so that you fit in. And then that fifth one had to be about the show or, hey, has anyone watched blah, blah, blah on ABC or whatever? We'll bleep that part out. <laughs> and then – so then we'd get we'd get counted on those and we'd have to do reports every month. All the, Anyway, so first of all, that was shady as hell. Totally. But I don't think that we – I think we kind of were like, this is weird but didn't fully know that it was completely unethical. Yeah. But the part that was toxic beyond that the work was unethical – is that it was such a um, – the CEO used to, like, push us to party and get wasted. Do you thinking, remember? It was sort of Silicon Valley-esque. I remember. It totally. was a bunch of young 20-something-year-olds. Everybody was, like, relatively good-looking. Um, yes. Right? And they would, like – we were encouraged to do, like, all these after – one. I remember one um, company – we were having, like, a holiday party and everyone got iPods. Like in- yes. engraved iPods. iPods. Like it was like yes. showering us with stuff all the time. We were like, but then it yeah. was like pouring shots in your mouth and like oh. just everyone was wasted all the oh, time. Yeah, we drank and, on Fridays. Right? right, 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 right. And then you come work to work on Monday and you'd cyber strike. But this is when I started to be like, hold on, this is toxic as shit. I remember once we had to do a report for a brand and I was like a leader at this point. I think you were on my team. We had put this report together and I get called into the CEO's office and he's like, what is this report? And I'm like, well, the report says that people like X and not Y. And he's like, no, we told them that we were going to get people to like Y. Uh-oh. So you need to go back and rewrite this. You were like, but that's not the facts, Jack. I'm like, but that's, we're already shady as hell, but now you want me to rewrite this thing. And it was this like constant pressure. And then he would do this thing where it felt like you were in a relationship with him because if you didn't do what he wanted, he'd like, we used to remember he would say he'd, we'd break, he'd break up with you. Like he'd stop looking at you. He'd stop talking to you. Do you remember any of this? Slightly. I remember his whole like vibe. He was like young and like kind of a cool guy, but not, not really. really like kind of, yeah. it made you cringe. Yes. yes. Yeah, he'd ignore you. He would like not talk to you because you didn't like change the, the report the way. Maybe I like protected you from him a Maybe. little bit. But Thanks, I mean, mom. that was some crazy shit. And then once he said to me when I was getting married, he asked <gasps> me to do the same thing again. Right. And I said, no. I remember and this. And he said, I think you're just overly emotional because you're getting married. You were like, <laughs> I was uh, like all right. Oh, misogyny. You were like, do you want to fight Ta-da. me in the parking lot? Yeah. So anyway. We worked in a very, very toxic environment. I actually remember where we were when you were applying to another job after we were leaving that insanely toxic company. Uh, But I cannot remember what prompted you to leave. I remember where you went. I remember when you got the job of where you were going. But I cannot remember why you were like, all right, I'm done. You know, I think that it was such a accumulation of feeling like I couldn't have self-respect anymore Yeah, in that job. Um, That's just because you were emotional about your wedding. I was emotional about my wedding. Yep. No, and I, it just it, – it was like I remember my fiancé at the time from my past marriage saying like you can't come home and cry every day. 
that can't be the way that. that this goes. Yeah. Yeah. And I was like, oh, you're right. I can't come home and cry every day. This is not a good. And then I think I was getting a little older and I was like, I want to have kids soon. Yeah. And this is definitely not the place to have kids in. And I knew that intuitively. Nobody And had so I started kids. looking. I, I don't yeah, think no one had, had kids. kids. Nobody. That's the other thing. Even Nobody, the and I did older, not want to be the first. You're right. And even the older um, leaders in that company, nobody had kids. You couldn't have I boundaries. That's correct. That's so interesting. And so it uh, makes me uncomfortable yeah. now that I think about it. Well, and then I left and went to a nonprofit that was even more toxic, and I did that for a year, and then I ended up at the agency I stayed at for a very long time. You know what, though? This is why I love the empowerment of Gen Z. Totally. Because there is not a shot that this shit would be going down, and I don't know, maybe it is, but like, I think it would be harder to have an environment like this when you have such an empowered generation that's like, uh, what? First of all, this is unethical. Secondly, I have good boundaries. You're not going to do me like this. It just begs the question for me, what, like, how was that not in our minds? How come that wasn't part of our yeah. mi- mindset? Because think about who yes. raised us. We got raised by boomers. What, what, what is okay, the boomer, boomer. mindset Work around hard. working? Work hard and put your head down. <laughs> yeah. Like, and also you better be grateful that you have this job yeah basically right you need us kind of yeah you need absolutely. us to survive we, and we yeah. don't need you you're disposable right so takeaway is there's a time for better boundaries which is always <laughs> but then there really is a time for quitting right like when again i think i don't know let's let's think about it this way what are the three big reasons that you could think of now thinking about your career and everything you've been through where it's like you must quit if what? Number dot, one, dot, first dot. and foremost, is if you are no longer being paid for your job. <laughs> if your paycheck <laughs> no longer comes in, learned. you should <laughs> comes in. That's write that one signal. down, guys. Um, and then I think I guess any allegation, any um, any instances of true abuse, verbal sexual harassment, anything where you are not being heard or nobody is advocating on your behalf, I would be out. But again, this is a Absolutely. privileged conversation we're having right uh it's true yeah i think that for me it's um if you genuinely feel that you have to belittle yourself that you have to put aside the things that matter to you that really matter to you your values in order to succeed in that environment it is time to go. Now, there are steps to take before you come to that decision, I think, which is yeah. speaking up, articulating your boundaries. And by the way, the thing people mostly get wrong is consistently upholding those boundaries. It's not good enough to just say once, you know what, I really don't want to work till eight o'clock every night. It, you have to consistently uphold the boundary. If someone's asking you to do their work, it's a consistent no. If someone's asking you to do something that you find unethical, it's a consistent no. I think if you're consistently upholding the boundaries, First of all, I think you will create change because people are not used to that kind of meeting that kind of person where they're just, this is what it is and you're not going to push me to do it any other way. So I think you can actually create change. But I would say if you've tried that and you really have to part from your values and your sense of self and your sense of trusting yourself, then in order to succeed, that is not a space to be in. Now I'd love to hear from anybody who has works at a place where there is no toxicity and what does that look like? And what does that feel like? Like, does that exist? One of the things that I tell clients now that are coming from an organizational standpoint that come to me for help 
is that it is almost impossible to get a group of people together that are different, to put the pressure of achieving results onto them, and to not at least have chaos. I don't know that it has to be toxicity, but I do know that it is always chaotic at some level because there will always be disagreement. There will always be external pressure. And when we're in those situations, our shadowy selves come out, the parts that don't believe in us, the parts that feel like we have to prove ourselves, the parts that need validation. And I really find that what's happening in just any work culture is that if there is not a deep conversation about mental health, about valuing and respecting one another, about learning how to take pause and about learning how to disagree with grace, to not take things so personally when people don't agree with you, that that's how it turns into toxicity. I have a couple clients. What I find is that it's younger companies, it's mm-hmm. founder companies, um, One's in the beauty industry, one's in um, another space, kind of a self-help space, but they're very successful organizations and they are so mindful about uh, having this conversation with their people and encouraging their people to really come forward and speak their truth. And they're just really conscious companies. They're really conscious of the people that are there and of building an environment where people feel seen and respected and loved. And I really think that that is the shift I'm seeing where I'm like, you know, to answer your question, Bean, like there is, it is emerging, but it doesn't mean there's not chaos. There's still chaos. It's just how they handle the chaos. Correct. Yeah. And how they grow from the chaos. Oh, wow. Let's all grow from the chaos. Well, that was fun. That was fun. That, that was, was a lot. That was a lot of info. That was a lot. Yeah. We talked a lot about quitting. Uh, thanks for doing your research and interviewing all those one Gen, Gen Zer. All of the Gen Zer. Yeah. I read a lot. Really Come helpful. on. Come on, man. You did, did read a lot. Research. No, you did. Come on. Did. I put you in did. the time. You did. Thanks. Beanie, I love you so much. I, love you I can't so wait much. to talk to you again next week. Me too. See you then. See you then. This has been another episode of Signal, the podcast that raises your frequency. This podcast is co-hosted by me, Maury Fontanez, and Melissa Grushka. Special thanks to my production team, Anushri Thekadeth, Arman Kassam, and Anais Islami. Don't forget to join us next week for another episode. See you then. Hold up. 